The following podcast is a Dear Media production. This is Being Bumo, a podcast for the modern parent that wants to be the best version of themselves while being the best parents they can be for their kids. We'll be spotlighting parents and experts who are not only inspiring, but also willing to share with us how it really is. Because as we all know, parenting can be equally as rewarding as it is challenging. We're here to make your life easier, a little less stressful, and help you navigate through this complex thing called parenting. Welcome back, Boomos. Today we have Dr. Becky, a clinical psychologist and mom of three. Dr. Becky Kennedy is a clinical psychologist specializing in anxiety, resilience, and parenting. She specializes in thinking deeply about what's happening for kids and translating these ideas into simple, actionable strategies for parents to use in their own homes. Dr. Becky's goal is to empower parents to feel sturdier and more equipped to manage the challenges of parenting every day. Dr. Becky also received a BA in psychology and human development from Duke University and a PhD in clinical psychology from Columbia University, which means that she knows what she's talking about. Dr. Becky maintains a private practice in Midtown Manhattan and runs parenting groups and workshops, lectures on various mental health issues. And she also consults for organizations. So today we chat about tantrums and the not so obvious things about them and how to discipline with trust versus control. Here's our conversation. All right. Hi, Dr. Becky. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So nice to be here. Yes. Thank you for joining us today. I have so many questions for you, but before we dive into everything, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into all of this? Sure. So I am a clinical psychologist. I have my PhD in clinical psychology from Columbia University, where I was studying both child and adult. Um, psychology. So I've kind of over the course of my career worked with kids. I worked with adults. I then had my own kids. And one of the things that struck me in my kind of really deep adult therapy work was kind of these general patterns of where adults, when they're kind of looking back in their early years, kind of Kind of, we learned together about the ways they had to adapt to their family system and make shifts, kind of all things that benefited them early on, but then inevitably worked against them in their adult years. I think that's actually all what we're struggling with. That's why any adult goes to therapy. I used to do things that was adaptive then. It no longer is, but it's hard to change. And I just kept always thinking about if we could use that knowledge and my awareness of these patterns and almost reverse engineer it and give all that knowledge to parents today, then instead of working so hard like we all are as adults to rewire in a way that's more beneficial, we could kind of set up kids with that wiring early on. And that's really what inspires my passion for parenting work. That's incredible. And yes, I have to agree that us as parents, we kind of bring our own kind of baggage and history onto our kids without even realizing it. And that's how a lot of times you look at them and you're like, wow, you're so much like me. How did that happen? And you're like, oh yeah, she's my daughter or he's my son. (laughs) Um, So we are focusing on tantrums today, which is such a common thing that parents go through on a daily basis. But I hear very little talk about actually. What is one obvious thing that maybe parents might not know that needs to know about tantrums? 
Ooh, uh, I might have two competing thoughts in my head, so I might sneak in two things. Um, if I had to pick one, I would say tantrums are healthy. I think that's mm. different from something some people say, which are tantrums are normal. I definitely think they're normal, but I would go a step above and say tantrums are healthy. Tantrums are really this moment where a child wants something, right? And child wants something for herself. And essentially a parent always is saying no to that thing. And that's what a tantrum becomes, right? right. It's essentially something that gets in the way of getting what we want. And if I think about adulthood and what I want for my kids down the line is I want them to learn how to regulate their frustration. I want them to learn how to regulate wanting something and not having it. But the last thing I want for them is to not have desire anymore. I think we also know what that means in an adult. Like, what do I want? Who am I? Is it okay to want these things? And a tantrum is a sign that a kid wants something deeply and does not yet have the regulation skills to manage having that desire thwarted. And tantrums are so healthy because, of course, we need to set boundaries and we want to you know, be in charge. And we also want to validate our kids' experience. But at the end of the day, we want our kids to want things for themselves. I want my kids to always feel like they can want things for themselves. And if we want kids to eventually be able to want things and feel good about being assertive and standing up for themselves and learn how to regulate those feelings when they come up, when those things don't happen for them, the way that looks in childhood is tantrums. I think that that's really, really important. It's a sign your kid has desire that is so healthy. And the kind of second thing I was going to add is that a tantrum is not an attempt to manipulate a parent. A tantrum is a biological state of dysregulation. And I think that framing allows us to intervene in so many ways that's helpful. Um, And it's really, really important for parents to take that away. That's actually really helpful because then you view it a little bit differently going into it, right? And almost in a way you're like, okay, like you are not being manipulative, but you are trying to fight for what you want, which we should all kind of be proud of in that sense, right? I think that's exactly right, right? There's this way in which, you know, especially if you have a strong-willed kid, I mean, one of the reasons it probably especially gets under our skin is and probably on some level, our strong-willedness was shut down early on. And then we see it in our kid and we shut down in them what was shut down in us. But there is this delight I sometimes take in my kids where, wow, you, you really want to stand up for yourself. That's going to be a really great skill down the line. It happens to make for a lot of inconvenient moments for me as your parent, but that's awesome. And right. I think that you're right. How we frame a tantrum dictates what strategies we think to use. Parents are always like, I need strategies, I need strategies. Way more important than a strategy or a script is having a framework to understand what's happening. Because if you're not in the right framework for certain strategies, you're not going to think of those things in the moment. Right, exactly. So let's say that a child is having a moment, right? Mm -hmm. And you're also kind of at your wit's end. Mm -hmm. Um, Naturally... For myself, I'll be like, why are you acting like this again? Are we really going to have this talk again? No, you can't have it. You can't have 30 minutes of more screen time. Mm -hmm. And they fight back. So in that case, what do you do? What is a healthy response? Right. So the first thing I would say is, and I, is we always have to differentiate, what do I do in the moment a tantrum comes from what am I doing outside of those moments to build regulation skills, to reduce the likelihood of those going forward? Not because tantrums aren't healthy, again, they are, but dealing with an emotional fire 
is different than reducing the vulnerability to emotional fires. And I think we have to separate those strategies and honestly get good at both categories. So what do you do in the midst of an emotional fire? That's what we're saying, right? right. To maybe come back to our job. I think this is so important. It's core to my principles is that we have to know our job in any system, any company, any family, you have to have clarity in what your role is and what someone else's role is. Anyone who runs an organization knows that's true or else nothing is effective. So what's a parent's role? I think of three things. Boundaries, validation, and empathy. And you do your role best when you're doing all three. So let's say you're saying no to screen time. A boundary would sound like this. Sweetie, screen time is over for today. It works best as combined with the other parts of your job, validation and empathy. Oh, it's so hard to end something you love so much. And you hear it's not just my words. The words matter far less than the tone or as Uh, would say, as the kid feeling felt. Because I could say it's so hard to end screen time and nobody feels good hearing that. (laughs) Um, And I'm kind of holding that boundary. I'm saying, this is my decision. I think it's the right thing for you to end, but I'm validating your experience, right? I'm a big believer that at our core, humans of any age are just looking to feel seen. Mm -hmm. I think that's so powerful. And when we do we can manage disappointment and disappointment doesn't turn into rage. I think disappointment from a kid turns into rage when they feel invalidated Mm. because a kid's job in a family system is actually to express emotions. So when your kid says, no, mom, I want to watch another show. Or if it's my kid, all the other parents, let me watch more. And you're the worst. And you know, my kids, of course, say these things too, right? We can see their experience. Oh, it's such a bummer to end. You're allowed to feel mad at me. And if your kid says, oh, does that mean I can watch? You follow the boundary, like kind of, oh, no, sweetie. No, no, no. And this is one of my favorite lines to even hold on to your job. Two things are true. I'm in charge of making the decision about when screen time ends and screen time ends now. You're in charge of how you feel and you're totally allowed to be upset about it. It's so respectful and yet also so sturdy. So when I'm listening to this, I'm like, it's no different for adults either. Like sometimes when you're talking to your partner, they just want to be seen and heard and be validated, but you still need to get your point across. So in that sense, we should almost view children no different. I mean, of course there are differences, but no different than a regular human being, a regular adult, correct? Well, this you're really coming back to something I think of as core in my approach, which is you know, it makes me very sad to think about this, but I think there's a lot of books out there. There's a lot of psychologists out there who actually approach raising kids closer to training animals than any other model. It's all about punishments and rewards and sticker charts and timeouts and extinguishing bad behavior and encouraging and praising good behavior. And I was actually trained initially in that model. And it all makes such logical sense. Your brain is like so on fire. You're like, yeah, that makes sense. And then I feel like, wait, if my husband you know, gave me a sticker for every (laughs) dinner and took away my iPad when I was rude to him. And then at the end of the week, gave me a necklace for five stars or whatever it was. I mean, I would totally be happy to have a new necklace, but my relationship with him would be in the gutter. And at the end of the day, the only thing we have, especially when our kids become older, is our relationship. They're not scared of us. They don't care about our sticker charts. They don't care about timeouts. They're like, what are you going to do to me? I'm 16 now. And if for 16 years, you haven't prioritized making them feel seen and therefore real, forget not having emotion regulation skills, which they won't have, which are by far the most important thing, I think, going into your adulthood, but you won't have a relationship with them. 
And I've seen so many families where that's the case. And it's, it's so sad. So yeah, I mean, I, I often use that as a barometer. Of course, kids need something different than adults. But I think, what is a parallel situation for me? How would I feel? What would I need? What would I need in that type of situation? To me, my best parenting interventions often come out of that thought process. That's so true. I never viewed it like that. I mean, I think we all kind of get suckered into kind of what other parents are doing, especially if you're a first time parent and you just don't really question it. And you're like, oh, this person Mm -hmm. is doing this reward system or timeout or sticker chart. I mean, maybe that works for them. But if you really kind of step away from that and you think about, well, how would I feel if that was put on me? Like, I wouldn't feel good about that. I think listening is a great example. Like I always think if I was finally alone, like reading a book or something on the couch and my husband was like reading a book, let's say on the couch too. And he looked at me and just goes, um, can you go get me some water? And I looked at him and I might, you know, be like, I mean, we're both sitting, like you can get yourself water. And he was like, you have a listening problem. I'd be like, how is that the problem here? Like what? That is so not what's happening, right? Versus if he had that day, been really connected to me and we felt really strong in a relationship. And then he asked, I'd be more likely to go. And you better bet if I didn't feel good, even in just that day where I felt like I was trying to talk to you and you were on your phone or you yelled at me a lot, there's no way I would get him water if we both could. But that's not a behavioral problem on my part. That's a relationship issue. And I think, Mm -hmm. again, I always come back to like, we do these things to our kids and we forget that they're, they're humans in a relationship just like we are in the same principles, like you said, the same principles apply. So in that case, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're all, we're all human and we've all messed up yes. at some point. We've said the wrong things. We've lashed out. We've acted, you know, in a way that we shouldn't have acted. I mean, I'm already thinking of situations that have happened in the past. I'm like, oh man, like I shouldn't have done that or said that. So how do you take that back? Or can you take that back? And can you make up for it? How do you talk to your children about it? 100%. So one of the things I talk about all the time on my Instagram account and in my courses is that repair is where it's at. Good parents do not get it perfect all the time. Good parents repair. And I remember sitting in a Columbia in a class when I was at Columbia, learning about attachment theory, which is really like a huge part of my inspirations, not attachment parenting, but attachment theory, like Mm. Boldy and Ainsworth. And they were talking about how secure attachment, which is what we really want for our kids. One of the real markers of secure attachment is repair. And then they were kind of going on the lecture. And I just remember this light bulb moment of, oh, well, if repair is a marker of secure attachment, you have to have messed up to repair. Like you had, they didn't even mention the rupture part, but it it was like very relieving to me. I wasn't even a parent yet. I remember being like, oh, okay. I can just get good at the repair part. I don't have to do the perfect parenting thing, which isn't, right? One of the things I want my kids to go out in the world with is thinking that when people they're close to mess up, you can expect that person to come to you and talk about it and own it and not make them feel like it's your fault. And the way we interact with our kids in their early years sets up the wiring for the relationships they will actually seek out when they're adults because we're attracted to what's familiar. We are Our attraction when we're older is just our body's way of saying, oh, I know how to click into this person. I know a part to play. And so they are really reenacting their earliest years. And I want my kids to know that 
healthy relationships aren't one where people get it right all the time, but they're ones where you can reach understanding after misunderstanding, or you can have connection again after disconnection. And I'm a parent of three. I mess up. I yell. I shoot dart eyes at my kids. Of course, we're all human. And I mean, I, I think number one, we actually first need a script to repair with ourselves. Do you right? have a script? I do. I think the first thing we need to say to ourselves is probably something like in private, I was a good parent having a hard time. That's really, really important. It's kind of another two things are true. I'm a good parent and my behavior wasn't great. Separating those two things are huge. And just literally giving yourself some kindness. Take a deep breath. I am I'm a good parent. I'm doing enough. I am enough. And then when you feel a little release in your body, which we need, then we can approach our kids. And I think here's the core script. It's something like this. Like, I'm sorry for yelling at you. I mean, this is key. I'm ha- I was having my own big feelings and they came out as a loud voice. I am sure that felt scary to you. It is never your fault when I yell. I'm working on managing my feelings so I can find a calmer voice at those times. You're a good kid and I love you so much. Hair is all over my Instagram because, you know, one of the hard parts I think of what I'm, this community that I'm creating is I want people to know I, I messed up too, right? And so many times parenting ideas or accounts, they can make us feel like we're doing it all wrong. And I think we have to constantly weave in repair so we can normalize the messing up process. Have you ever applied something on your child and wonder, hmm, I wonder what's actually in this thing? I mean, I've definitely been guilty of that. That is why I've been using Pipette since I discovered it when I had my second child, Colette. When I first became a mom and learned about all the harmful ingredients in some skincare products for kids, it completely shocked me. Did you know that the FDA bans only 12 potentially harmful ingredients in skincare products? Um, excuse me? I was introduced to Pipette when I had my second child and wish it came into my life sooner. Pipette actually bans more than 2,000 ingredients, ensuring products are safe, effective, and they use only non-toxic ingredients available. Pipette is a clean baby and mom care brand with a mission to give every family the best start. I mean, we all want what's best for our children, and that includes using only the safest products on their delicate little skin. I mean, what goes in always comes out. Pipette's products are also EWG verified, vegan, hypoallergenic, sustainable, and pediatrician and dermatologist approved. All of Pipette's products are made with a key ingredient, squalene, a personal favorite ingredient of mine for my own skincare. It actually leaves the skin so, so supple and soft. My absolute favorite product from Pipette is their baby oil and baby balm. It's still something that we use every single night. Pipette has quickly become a customer favorite for its ultra gentle baby lotions, oil, and wash. And right now you can score 30% off its entire collection of personal care items. Visit pipettebaby.com and get 30% off with the code BUMO, B-U-M-O. I don't know if it's me, but I can never find a shampoo and conditioner that works for me. And is it weird that my scalp is just kind of gross? Maybe I've been using too much dry shampoo or products in my hair. I mean, I have to say I've been styling my hair, especially with these new bangs. I've tried so many products and nothing seems to be quite right for my hair and my scalp. But lately I've been using Gem Mist. I took their quick two minute quiz and their fancy schmancy algorithm matched me with the best shampoo and conditioner and a scalp bar. I have to admit, I had no idea what a scalp bar was, but it removed a buildup and more. 
more. Is it magic? Nope. It is science. Also, you can save money by subscribing. You can save 20% on every order with Smart Subscribe and get free shipping. You can also try Gemmist risk-free with free and easy returns within 30 days, which is awesome. Also, did I mention that it's women-owned? The CEO and founder, Alison Haar, is a mom of two. We love supporting busy moms out here, right? If you're ready to have the best hair of your life, try Gemmist. Right now, my listeners can give Gemmas a try and get 20% off their shampoo and conditioner smart subscription. Smart subscribers already save 20% on each order. So this is an amazing deal. And with free two-day shipping, you can have it as early as this weekend. Just visit Gemmas.com to get your personalized recommendation and enter BUMO, B-U-M-O at checkout for 20% off and free two-day shipping. That is gemmist.com, G-E-M-M-I-S-T.com and enter code BUMO at checkout to get the best hair of your life. Let's talk about, you know, once you, you've kind of apologized and you, you've told them that you've messed up, right? It also kind of naturally will, I mean, I think this is one thing that parents do worry about is like, they just don't want to mess up their kids, Right. But I always tell people you can't worry about that because there are going to be those moments, right? They are going to, you are going to mess up and that's just part of it. So do you have anything to say about kind of fear? Because there are a lot of new parents that do listen on our podcast and there's just a lot of fear of like, I just don't want to F up my kids. Yeah. I mean, I think that's such a big concern, right? And what I would come back to is a key idea that what actually is the worst thing for kids is being left alone with scary feelings, not the hard feelings themselves, right? And I think one of the things that gets in our way of repairing or being with our kids through hard situations, I yelled at you or you heard mommy and daddy yelling, you heard mommy and mommy yelling, let me explain to you what's happening, is the fear of messing up our kids gets in our way of going to their room and just talking to them about what happened. It's not talking about hard things that is hard for kids. It's when they notice hard things and then feel alone and confused. That is terrifying for our kids. Actually, the more we say to them things like, you heard that, that happens. That was so hard. That probably felt scary. I'm here. Tell me what that was like for you when you heard us arguing, as an example. Tell me what that was like for you when I... I called you, that name I called you, oh, that did happen. You were right to be upset by that. Let's talk that through. I'm doing what I'm doing on my end to take care of my big feelings. And sweetie, it's important for you to know that's not okay. And you're allowed to be upset. You should be upset. Tell me about it. I'm a big girl. I can hear it. That's not messing up our kids because what we're really saying to them, going back to that core thing is, I see you. You're real. Your feelings are real. This is not your fault. And one of the core stories adults struggle with is, am I bad? Are things my fault? Am I too much? Am I not worthy? And that actually comes from childhoods where they were left alone with their feelings. And when kids are left alone with big feelings, they have to self-blame or self-doubt to explain it to themselves. And we really, really can get away from that by reconnecting after hard moments. Yeah, that's really helpful. I mean, I could relate to that because... Uh, my husband and I, I, maybe about a year ago, like in the beginning of the pandemic, we were just having this blowout, right? And we we have it maybe like once a year. It doesn't happen too often. But this time it did happen in front of my oldest daughter. You know, we didn't realize that she was there. And so afterwards, you know, we I saw the fear in her eyes and really had to talk to her about 
you know, we still love each other. We were just having our moment and just had to explain to her that that is normal. And, you know, as long as we are able to repair our, you know, situation and we're able to pick things back up, you know, we are really good. And so I think that was very helpful for her because one, it's important for me, for her to realize that arguing and getting into these kind of situations is okay, but it's really about how you react from it and what you take away from it. So just thought I'd share that kind of story with you. So I think it's really, really beautiful that what you did there was you modeled that sometimes in marriages, things are hard and that marriages are full of moments that sometimes don't feel great. And then hopefully you can show also a reconnection, a re-understanding, an explanation. Because I know for me, I don't want my kids going into a marriage thinking it's all rainbows and, and, and butterflies, thinking, oh, in marriages, people are perfectly attuned and they never argue, right? Of course, there's a range, right? But we are living through really stressful times. And I think too often, even though we're so well-meaning, we avoid saying to our kids what the truth is, thinking the truth is going to scare them. The truth for all of us helps us understand and understanding makes us feel safe and more regulated. And I think you really that. That like kind of gave me a light bulb moment because for me personally, I've always had kind of this fear of conflict, right? Kind of sidetracking, but, uh, but it's like connecting the dots for me right now. I've always had a little bit of fear of like fighting and arguing with just like anybody, whether it be with friends or my partner or with my kids. And it just brings me back to how I was raised. I have wonderful parents. You know, they work super hard. They've always been there for me, but I would hear them fight, but they would never, ever address it to me. And they would never, ever talk about it to me. And I, yeah. I remember always being fearful kind of in my bedroom of like, oh, if something bad going to happen. Nothing happened. Right. But it was that kind of fear of what if, and no one ever talked to me about it. And so that makes a lot of sense of like what you experienced as a child, you know, also you, you bring it along with you, which kind of brings me back to like why it's so important to be able to have these conversations. If you mess up, if you have an argument with your partner to really be able to explain that to your child. I, that's exactly right, right? And I know I alluded to this, but kids have to understand their environment, right? If you go back to evolution, if you notice a change in your environment, right, way back when, you have to assume it's a threat before you can deem it to be safe. That's how we survive as a species. You have to assume it's a bear before yeah. <laughs> the adult says, no, it's just a squirrel. You can keep on playing, right? So we, we have to, and kids especially, because kids are so helpless. Kids know inherently I can't survive on my own. I need the adults around me, right? So when there's a change in the environment now, guess what? We're not talking bears and squirrels in the forest, but we're talking about, oh, what was that? What was that noise? What was that argument? What was that look, right? Is And we have to assume it's a threat, right? That's still what our body does. So now, what does a kid do if an adult doesn't come and through their attachment and through their calm presence, Tell them that thing that you did recognize happened. You're right. Your perceptions are accurate. Here's why you're safe. Here's why you're not to blame. And here's why we are going to be able to get through this. Now, it, what, what happens if a kid doesn't get that is their experience, their fear is locked in their body. Guess what is going to happen? Your kid is not going to come, hey, 
hey, mom, I'm really scared because I think you and dad were arguing. No, that's not what happens because they're already self-doubting because nobody explained something to them. Their body is just ready to release it. They're ready to tantrum. They're ready for it to come out in a, a different way. They are in a state, like we know the state as adults of kind of locked up fear and anxiety. And then when they release it because, I don't know, someone tell me a story because the carrots are too orange, right? This is what happens for kids. We say, oh, you're so illogical. Meanwhile, that connects back to the moment half an hour ago or even the night before that their body was filled up with distress because they were so alone and confused, right? So I'm a big believer in my family and families I work with over and over. When they're saying my kid is in a really difficult stage, I have no idea why. One of my first questions is just what is what might they perceiving around them that has not yet been explained? Right. And someone will say, oh, well, the nanny left, but I, I don't think they noticed. Or, oh, their grandma used to visit a lot and, you know, doesn't anymore. Or, I don't know, maybe we've been arguing a little bit more, but it's always when our kids are reading in their room. And I don't think there's any spontaneous remission when you go to talk to your kids about it. But safety starts with understanding our environment. We are animals, right? We are driven by the principles of evolution. And it's really, I think, really powerful to think about your home environment in that way. I love that. That makes a lot of sense. So would you say that you talk a lot about control versus trust? Does that have anything to do with kind of what we're talking about? You know, when I hear the word control, sometimes I'm like, oh, when I when I am in control, they will trust me more. But you're saying kind of the opposite, right? So can you explain well, a little bit how that works? Yeah, I think it's really nuanced, right? So I think, look, do I think we need, well, first of all, of course, we're in control, right? In, in a lot of ways. One of the things I, I think about in a family system is we're the pilot, right? And when things are turbulent, you want the pilot to get in the loudspeaker and say, yeah, this is turbulent, right? You need to validate what's happening, but you also want to hear a pilot say, I know what I'm doing. Right. And you don't want to hear a pilot having his own tantrum, right? That would be like, now I'm really scared more than the turbulence. I'm scared of that. So is that a form of being in control? I guess I don't think about it as control as much as this word I talk a lot about being a sturdy leader. Right. So I think, yes, our kids feel really good when they have sturdy leaders. They need to know that the things that feel scary to them, their overwhelming emotions that feel so scary to them do not scare a parent. Just like we need to know the turbulence that scares us doesn't scare the pilot. That's the scariest thing, right? So that's a form of sturdy leadership. When I talk about trust and control as opposites, one of the things I think a lot about is whether we lead with our kids when we interact with them, are we leading with control of them, right? Or are we leading with trust of them? And when we control someone, we're essentially saying to them, I don't trust you, right? When our boss says to us, you have a presentation, you're giving this presentation later, do this, do this, don't do that, don't do that, don't talk too fast, don't talk too slow, right? We're like, oh, my, at the, you're like, my boss doesn't trust me, right? And that, that infuses your presentation. If you have a boss who says to you, hey, we've talked a lot about this. I know you know this is an important meeting, but you know what else I know? You've got this. I trust you. I mean, think about how that feels in your body. And I think about that a lot with kids and really small examples, right? Whether we say to a kid, you guys are always arguing. Okay, fine. Um, you get the red block. You get the blue block. I always have to make these decisions for you. Or whether we help them regulate. Maybe we take some deep breaths. We narrate what's happening. Ooh, two kids, one red block. So tricky. You know what? When I sense a little release, I might say, I'm going to go outside and get some water. I trust the two of you to figure it out. I am kind of telling my kids, I trust you. You are trustworthy. It activates that part of themselves, right? I think the idea of trust and control as an idea works well next to 
Another powerful concept, which is that our kids respond to the version of themselves we reflect back to them. We're a kid's mirror. They're learning who they are through their interactions with us. I know it almost gives me the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> powerful ish, right? So before we have all the parent guilt, oh no, come back, right? The area of repair, we can always repair. And I always think the right time to change is always right now. And when we reflect trust, kids truly do start to act more trustworthy. Kids want to be seen as good. I mean, please, adults want to be seen as good. We do. And when we reflect that back to them, they're so eager to act from that part of them. Mm, that makes so much sense. And again, kind of going back to adults, like that's what we want as well from our relationships, our friends, our peers, all of that, right? Yes. So kind yes. of going back full circle to where we started, it, it just really treating them like how we want to be treated ourselves. That's right. You know, I, I remember years ago, I was working with a family, parents for, you know, kind of ongoing sessions, just general checking in about their family. And the mom who ran this kind of this division of a financial firm said, hold on a second. Like, can you come talk to my management team? Because I don't even know if you have to change any language. Like, I, I feel like it's the exact same stuff for managing employees as you're helping us be sturdy leaders. And, and it's so true. I mean, I do work in a lot of settings. I work with families. I work with companies. I work with people who have teenagers and toddlers. And some people say to me, wow, you do so many different things. And in a way that keeps it vibrant, but I truly think I'm always doing the same thing, right? The principles of human relationships they, they go from newborn to adulthood. I mean, it's right. We all want the same things. We want to feel seen. We want to feel connected. We want to feel like someone can hold our difficult stuff and still look at us like we're a good person, right? Um, we want to feel trusted. It is. It's, it's all the same. Amazing. So we're coming towards the end of this. I wish I could, you know, I, I could talk to you forever. I have so many things that I could talk to you about, but we're going to have to bring you back on later. Um, but with that said, do you have any game changing tips or maybe even parenting phrases that you can share with our listeners that could really help them um, just be more confident in what they do? Sure. I mean, I kind of think of some bang for my buck, bang for your buck strategies, right? So to me, a phrase I've introduced to my community that they've re really taken off is this phrase, two things are true, right? And I think whether you say that out loud and I'll model it, or you just say it to yourself, what it really is powerful for is accessing your own sturdiness while still respecting your kid. And whether you say it out loud or you say it to yourself, the way you intervene with your kid around a conflict usually becomes totally different. So for example, my kid says, can I have two cookies right before dinner, right? And I try the whole thing. I might be saying something like, oh, you want cookies? And right, it's dinner time. We can have cookies after dinner, something like that. Or we can have cookies with dinner. They're like, I want it now, right? I'll think of that phrase. Two things are true. The answer to cookies now is no, and you're allowed to be upset about it. That goes back to that core thing where people want to be seen. When I say two things are true, in a moment, I'm able to access the idea that my experience is apparent of what needs to happen. I can feel seen in that. And also I can see my kids' experience. It kind of reminds me to do my job of boundaries and validation, right? That is so, so key. I have a million things. If someone puts in hashtag Dr. Becky, two things are true. There's a million examples on Instagram of that phrase. And parents tell me all the time that has like been game changing, right? I mean, it's really helpful with, you know, a, when you're dealing with something hard with your spouse, right? You want to 
he wants you to see his family. You say, I only want to go for a half an hour. He wants to last longer, whatever it is, right? You can say, oh, two things are true. You want to stay for a really long time and I want to go for a short time. The conversation changes because you've explicitly acknowledged the realness of both experiences. And that is really, really huge. Another thing I'll leave people with is this phrase, actually it goes both ways. I'm a good parent having a hard time. And my kid, to say to your kid, you're a good kid having a hard time. Kids who are told that in the midst of these epic tantrums, people tell me all the time, they're like, wow, there's something about that phrase that just hits at the core of what a kid needs to hear because it's another version of two things are true. The hard time, I'm labeling, obviously, that something's hard. But to me, over and over and over, no matter what's happening with your kid, you want to reflect to them that you see their goodness inside. Outside, the behavior might be, quote, bad. But inside, they're still a good kid. We actually can't change until we feel good inside, adults and kids. We often think change will make us feel good inside. The directionality is completely wrong. We have to feel good enough to be brave enough and bold enough and have compassion enough for ourselves to change. And so when you're reflecting to your kid in the midst of a tantrum or they're trying to hit you, I won't let you hit. I'm going to sit with you right here. Oh, you're a good kid having a hard time. I'm right here with you. That actually starts the regulation process. So those would be the phrases I leave parents with. You're a good parent having a hard time. You're a good kid having a hard time. And that whole idea of two things are true. That is incredible. Thank you so, so much. And where can people find you if they want to learn more about you, follow you? So the best way to find me is my Instagram, which is Dr. Becky at home, D-R-B-E-C-K-Y-A-T-H-O-M-E. And I do have a forthcoming podcast. I didn't even tell you that. It's so new. It's like going to be out. I don't know if when our episode comes out, but it will be out in a couple months. I actually just signed a book deal. So I'm writing my first book. I have actually a lot of other things in the works as well. The community around my Instagram page is just the most amazing, reflective, brave, cycle-breaking group of human beings I could ever know. And I'm so excited over the next couple months to offer a bunch more things to kind of bring them together as a community. Well, so you right. give great advice, I have to say. And I am not surprised that all these things are happening because you do definitely need a book. And I will definitely subscribe to the podcast when it comes out because... Yeah, I just love everything you have have to offer to, to us parents. So thank you so much for your time, Dr. Becky. Thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to continuing to connect in this space. Thank you. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. If you liked it, please take a second to rate, review, and subscribe. It really is the best way to support the show. Also, if you want to see more of us, head over to our Instagram and follow us there at Bumo Parent. And to learn more about Bumo Brain Virtual School, follow us at Bumo Brain or head over to BumoBrain.com. Thank you guys so much for listening and I'll see you guys next week.